Hi everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Dr. Trudy Mikovits, who is a scientific researcher who uh, got into quite a, a challenge and battle not too long ago when she did some interesting research that was published in one of the most pre, uh, prestigious journals in the world, Science, and stirred up enormous controversy. And just as a result, has gone through enormous personal turmoil. But the title of her book, she wrote a whole book about this, is called The Plague, or Plague. And it's about the XMRV virus, which is a uh, short for xenotropic murine retrovirus. Uh, and it's, uh, an it's like a spy novel thriller. I mean, she winds up telling about her story of how she gets in prison and goes through it. I mean, she's just led an enormous life and has gone through enormous personal tribulations as a result of seeking out the truth. And she's going to share her story today. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore because Judy's going to explain it firsthand. So thank you and welcome for joining us today, Judy. Oh, thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be alive, actually. I, yeah. I, I used to call uh, Plague a murder mystery, but I survived. So <laughs> now I think you have to call it a suspense thriller. Yeah, and that's really what it is. I, I read about 50 books a year, and there's, there's no, no book I've read that comes close to this. because It's almost like a nonfiction book. I mean, a, a fiction book. It's like a spy right. thriller. So, um, And I used to read more books, but now I'm writing three books, so I'm reading mostly paper. I've probably read more, more than a thousand papers this year already. So, Well, the important thing about it is Ken Tech and Lively essentially wrote it. Uh, and the way we wrote it together, um, because I write like a scientist, uh, mm -hmm. so he, we wrote it using the genre of flashback. So he sit, right. sat and he taped hours and hours of me telling the story as he asked me questions because he's um, trained as an attorney. And, and then he turned that into this suspense thriller. And interestingly enough, it almost has to read like fiction um, because of the lawyers it took to put together from Skyhorse to, um, to make sure uh, we sure. weren't sued. Well, let, your book... Uh, from uh, just, I think, from an interview perspective, it might be best if we don't follow the format of the book, which is a little bit confusing because you initially start with yourself in jail and you don't really understand what the story is. So let's start at the beginning. Right. Let's talk about XMRV, uh, XMRV, which is the virus that uh, you believe is contaminating many of the vaccines and is contributing mm -hmm. a factor for chronic fatigue syndrome or chronic myoencephalopathy. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's our myoencephalitis. And uh, is, a, is, a, is present in a large percentage of the population. So why don't you go about, describe your history, how you got into to retroviruses, and then how it progressed into this XMRV uh, identification and publication in science. Well, I, I started with, um, so my mentor and 35-year colleague is Dr. Francis Rossetti, and he, in 1980, um, he and Bernie Poise isolated um, from somebody with leukemia, with an adult T-cell leukemia, the first disease-causing human retrovirus. Prior to that publication, um, the, um, the a dogma in science was that human retro disease-causing retroviruses simply did not exist. 
so I was just out of college and I met Frank in 1983. I had been purifying that virus for studies on that virus in another part of the National Cancer Institute. I'm a protein chemist and a purification chemist out of the University of Virginia. So I graduated in 1980. I started working for Frank, um, we still laugh about it, on D-Day on June 6, 1983. Uh, and so from that day on, my entire life has been dedicated to understanding what retroviruses do to the immune system to cause disease. How are they associated with diseases? We still don't, um, and, and then how to cure them. So um, I went back in 1999 um, to, um, to lead the lab of antiviral drug mechanisms because basically my passion is curing these diseases. And my, my PhD thesis um, actually changed the paradigm because in HIV, um, which was because of Frank's discovery of the HD of disease-causing human retroviruses, we were able as a scientific community to get on top of um, what was going on with gay-related immune deficiency or whatever all the funny names we called that. They're not funny at all, I'm sorry. All the derogatory terms we used um, to describe the infected people and um, it's, it's not lost on me that myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is a devastating disease and deadly disease, is, is made to be chronic fatigue syndrome by our government. So, so in, well, before we go, go on, why don't we yes. take a step back? Because many mm -hmm. people, I mean, you, you are so solid in the science, but you've got to take a <laughs> for the many of the people. So, right. Let's start with a retrovirus, and right. HIV is a, an example of a retrovirus, and the right. forces which can uh, cascade into the clinical symptoms of AIDS. Mm -hmm. So that was, I think, the AIDS was or HIV was discovered in like the mid '80s or so, which is after you started your work. 1982, correct. So yeah. So and then the, you have in your book a whole history of that discovery and the oh, uh, credentialization of the, the honoring of the with. Uh, Gallo and some other uh, other luminaries in there that you shed some light on. So why don't we talk about the retrovirus and that story, and we'll progress up into the, the even more fascinating story later on in the year two, after two thousand. Correct. Um, so um, that story, so I walked right in the middle of Frank's lab when we didn't know. We suspected it was a retrovirus because of our knowledge of how they affect the immune system and cause and, and lead to acquired immune deficiencies and cancers from the other family that Frank and Bernie had discovered in 1980. So we, um, we suspected, given the immune dysfunction and how how it developed over the course of time, we suspected that the, the diseases we were seeing in, in healthy young men, beautiful, healthy young men who came up with Kaposi sarcoma. Well, Kaposi sarcoma is a disease that I knew to be um, old men in Italy. <laughs> so, and so the idea is there's the location of a pathogen in a cluster of a pathogen and a disease that as we age, our immune systems weaken. 
So this is why older people get shingles um, because they're stressed and the viruses wake up from a latent or dormant state and, and then they infect more cells in the body and make a person sicker and sicker. Well, you don't just one day get this um, virus and, and you're sick. And in fact, now we know millions of people have HIV and will never develop AIDS. And so we do talk about that in the book because the book ultimately is one of hope that we fixed HIV. And I can honestly tell you in 1999, when I was running the lab of antiviral drug mechanisms, I did not ever expect we would, we would solve that problem. And now AIDS patients on antiretroviral therapy are probably healthier, develop fewer cancers as was published mm -hmm. a few years ago and healthier than most of the rest of the society, HIV infected people. Yes, indeed. So, well, let's go back again though to the, <laughs> what is a retrovirus and how does a huh. retrovirus differ from a regular virus? Okay, well, retroviruses are RNA viruses. So we as humans have a DNA genome. Our blueprint is DNA. Um, um, and retroviruses have an RNA genome, but they also are unique in R the RNA family of viruses where their RNA genome is reverse transcribed. That is written backwards by an enzyme unique to retroviruses called reverse transcriptase. And um, that enzyme writes the RNA into DNA. And then they have another enzyme called integrase. And integrase is like a pair of scissors that cuts open your DNA and then inserts the retrovirus, which is only about 8,000 base pairs, a very, very, very small virus, 50 to 100 nanometers on an electron micrograph. So this is, it cuts open and, and that, that piece of DNA, it's called a provirus, is in your DNA of your cells forever. And every time your cells replicate, you make more viruses. So the, the key is to keep the virus silent and, and how they cause disease is when you can't keep them silent and the cells are dividing and you're making more retroviruses. But they can also cause disease by what we call insertional mutagenesis. And that's when they cut open the, the parts of the genome and they insert themselves into your DNA. That happened to be a key tumor suppressor gene or an oncogene, which is now crippled and it can actually lead to causing cancer, as in the case of adult T-cell leukemia. So retroviruses are associated with increased cancers. Do these retroviruses infect the germ cells also? So in other words, if there are germ cells infected, that not only will your own cells continue to be infected continuously, but your progeny will also. Um, that's the very important question. HIV, the answer is no, because the receptor is not on all cells in the human body. But as we know about XMRV, uh, the murine leukemia virus retroviruses, the mouse-related retroviruses that cause cancer and lots of neurological diseases, those infect the stem cells. Those affect the, the, the stem cells, the egg, the sperm, the cells, every cell in your body. And that was one of the big, oh my God, about our discovery. Okay. So before we go on to XMRV, just want to tidy up one other component and sort mm -hmm. of uh, put these uh, viral insertions into our DNA into proper context. Hasn't this been going on for as long as humans have been around where the viruses are infecting us? And 
Absolutely. Certainly their DNA. In fact, is a large percentage of our DNA not our own, but there as a result of these viral infections? Yes, there's, we have about 10% of our genome is retroviral in origin. And I say in origin because those viruses are crippled. So our, our DNA methylation machinery, our, our immune system, it literally cuts them up so they can't make whole viruses. So they can't infect um, other people. So they can't become infectious and transmissible. And those are called human endogenous retroviruses. Okay. And in fact, part of the hypothesis of how these cause disease um, is that we know AIDS patients or people with HIV, we know people with HTLV1, we know people with chronic Lyme disease, other pathogens where they, they are sick and have immune dysfunction actually um, express, express their endogenous retroviruses. So people with immune dysfunction express endogenous retroviruses. Healthy people do not. It's really important. Okay, so now we can go on to the journey. <laughs> it is a true exciting journey of your process with the XMRV uh, elucidation. And why don't you discuss that and, and put it in proper context and pretty much you can take it over from here because it's just an amazing story. I just wanted to, to develop the framework so we can put your story into proper context. Right. Right. Well, I, I was actually working for a few cancer companies here in California. And, and, and so I came to California, got married and went back to my passion of making cancer drugs. And we were um, making cancer drugs and, and a 911 hit. And our company literally went bankrupt because um, uh, we don't need to cure cancer if we're worried about everybody dying with a foreign attack like 911 on any given day. So the industry here in California, in Southern California, Carlsbad area, literally collapsed. And our company went was bought out by another company in Northern California, um, to, which the technology ended up being very, very helpful and can be used to treat these, um, these diseases like autism. So um, our company was bought out and I was looking for a job and um, one of my friends in our in our sailing club um, and it's all in the book one of our friends actually said well Judy um, my I, I know a person my girlfriend works for a, a person whose children are really really sick and he said she needs some help and I said sure Joe maybe I'll, I'll go talk to her so I gave her a call and um, and and basically that was the first time I ever saw the disease called MECFS. Okay. And um, she had a, a daughter who was severely ill at that time. Um, and uh, they came from Connecticut and they moved to California so they could be near her. She ultimately went to Stanford and was Stanford and was healed. Um, and, and this person was looking at a herpes virus known as HHV6. Um, and, and so that this is a, a virus that is prominent in um, people with, just like um, I mentioned at the, bit, at the top of the show, um, Kaposi sarcoma became associated with HIV AIDS. Well, that's what, what was discovered by Patrick Moore and Yuan Chen after HIV was that Kaposi sarcoma was actually caused by a herpes virus, um, then known as Kaposi sarcoma herpes virus. And now it's 
HHV8. And so, uh, so that's how, because the immune system was crippled, you wake up the sleeping herpes viruses. So um, people with, you know, autism, ME-CFS, cancers have a lot of infections in chronic infections and in chronic active infections. So we often see EBV associated with outbreaks of ME-CFS. So the Epstein-Barr virus, these herpes viruses, which we've also co-evolved with for millions of years. So it's all about the acquired immune deficiency. So I went, I met, I met um, this um, woman, and it's in the book. And I and I met her, and she introduced me to Dr. Dan Peterson and Annette Whittemore in Incline Village, where they had been. He had been studying outbreaks of MECFS for probably 25 years. So I went up there for a summer. He said he had a a bank of samples. Um, we went up there. I met all the patients. I interviewed them in great length um, and basically developed a hypothesis which had actually been shown before by Elaine DeFridis, um, another scientist many years earlier. So the book for that, uh, there, there's a book of, uh, about her discoveries. Um, I'm sorry, I'll think of the title eventually. Um, but um, her, that I... I um, Elaine DeFridis had also isolated retroviruses from patients with ME-CFS, and a doctor who I've never met named Sidney Grossberg had isolated uh, retroviruses from at least one patient with ME-CFS. So the retroviral hypothesis wasn't new and everything about it fit, as I met Dr. S uh, Peterson and, and talked uh, about it. Well, one of the most... Um, severely injured patients at that time was Annette Whittemore's daughter, Andrea. And, um, you know, obviously that summer I went up there to look at it. I was, it was 2006, summer of 2006. I went up there and I started studying it. And um, this young woman was terribly, terribly ill. And that, that's, that's that. So Annette founded an institute, funded an institute. Um, I, I, help set up the study just as I would. Um, I used a systems biology approach because there's a lot of heterogeneity. We know AIDS patients who, as I mentioned earlier, have HIV and will never get AIDS. You can look at Magic Johnson to this day and, and he doesn't have AIDS um, as my PhD committee and I still have my PhD. I lost a lot of things, but because I'm still right about Magic Johnson, they can't take away my PhD. Um, <laughs> which they wouldn't anyway. We're still right about all yeah, of this. They can stuff. never take away a degree. They can take away licenses and yeah. publications, but they can't take away right. degrees. Yeah, exactly. You graduated, you yeah. earned the credentials. Yeah, and basically I just called all my friends. So I called Dr. Rossetti, and as I interviewed these patients um, up, up in Dr. Peterson's office all summer long I, and, and took blood and urine and saliva and all kinds of samples so I could isolate that virus, which is what you need to do to show it's associated with a disease. Um, I, I, uh, as, as I met him and I talked to all these patients, one day I got on the phone and Frank was back at the NIH. I'm now in Incline Village and had been married for a number of years and hadn't been working at the NIH. Uh, and I, um, 
I called Frank and I said, Frank, what would you say if I said I'm looking at a 13-year-old and 11-year-old and their sisters and they have shingles? And he's like, oh, Judy, don't waste my time. They'd be AIDS patients. I'm like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And so, um, you know, we, I brought him. He happened to have colleagues at the university. We had colleagues at the University of Nevada, and this institute was at the University of Nevada. And I just basically brought all my friends who were the world's experts in, in HIV sequencing all the research resources that this disease had never seen before, that MECFS had never seen before. We had everything that the National Cancer Institute had, um, the world's best electron microscopist, um, Kunio Nagashima, who is the person who has uh, done the electron micrographs of every family of uh, human retroviruses discovered, which now are three um, or four. Actually, there's four of them because there's one called human beta retrovirus. They they name these viruses according to Greek letters just based on their electron micrographs and how they look. So there's a delta, there's a lentivirus is HIV. This a gamma retrovirus is the mouse family of viruses we discovered. They're in other animals as well, including humans. And so we, we you know, Cuneo did the electron microscopy. Um, we spent, we worked with Cleveland Clinic because as we, as I knew from my work in prostate cancer, I used to develop drugs in California. That company that went bankrupt was making prostate cancer drugs, not based on retroviruses, but I knew of Bob Silverman's work at the Cleveland Clinic, where he and Joe DeRisi had actually described the patients that got the most aggressive prostate cancers had a defect in the immune system that degrades um, retroviruses and that defect made them more susceptible and they identified and named pieces and parts, they found sequences, pieces and parts of this family of mouse retroviruses, and they called it xenotropic because it wasn't in a mouse, it was a sequence that was pulled from a human, from the human genome. Um, MLV, murine leukemia virus, because that's what they were, by those sequences in the gag in the envelope, which they only had maybe 10% of the genome at the time identified in people. So what we did was really critical because we isolated the virus. So we isolated it. We worked with Bob Silverman and um, spent per the, the better part of 2008 and 2009 um, uh, putting the paper together. Um, and proving the retrovirus was infectious and transmissible. That is proving it wasn't a crippled human endogenous retrovirus. Proving it wasn't just an empty circle. Proving that these diseases were actually contagious, infectious and transmissible. And to our horror, we learned could be aerosolized. And, and this, was, this was 2011 that we learned they could be aerosolized. And, and, and that was really um, um, the first nail in my coffin, pun intended, because the National Academy member, John Coffin, who had told Frank Rossetti there was no such thing as human retroviruses, don't study them, and then made a fortune off of HIV, and a fortune, and, and then just did, did, did everything he could to destroy me and the patients and 
um, and, and wrote a patent on the detection of these retroviruses, these pieces and parts as contaminants of the cell cultures, of the cell lines from which we make vaccines. So after they destroyed my reputation and career and forced the retraction of our paper from science, John Coffin um, turned around and wrote a patent on the detection of these viruses in um, contaminating cell lines, contaminating biologicals in our labs. Yeah, and that, and that progressed to a, a really important highlight that you uh, documented in the book and you know, are really uh, continuing today is that these are uh, infecting many biological uh, solutions that are being used clinically today, such as vaccines and, and other therapies yeah. that are given to, met, to individuals. So why don't you elaborate on that? Because that, that created, that definitely is a concern. Yeah, so that that was really at the heart of the big oh my god. So in in so when before our paper came out, um, you know, I learned a lot. That the worst I learned in this whole experience is how corrupt scientific journals are. In fact, Frank Rossetti now calls science that prestigious journal, the National Enquirer, uh, because I mean they literally engineered that the, the whole thing to destroy MECFS patients and any association that this virus had with these diseases. And in fact, John Coffin made sure, because all of the studies showed that the control population was between 3.75% infected and as much as 6.8% infected. So when you do a study, there was evidence of infection in 6% of the human population. That's 25 million Americans. And to put that in context, at the height of HIV AIDS in 1995, it was 1 million Americans. It would crush our healthcare system if they had to pay for what they caused. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. That's considerable. So uh, why don't you also expand on what happened to you as a result of, you know, you, you mentioned that they had your publication retracted from science, but uh, there was a whole variety of other, other uh, activities that occurred that actually resulted in you being, in bankrupting you, you winding up in prison for stealing your own lab notes. Right. It's just such an outrageous travesty. Which, which actually never happened. So basically, as so our paper came out on October 8th, 2009, and it was really, it was literally like the shot heard around the world. I mean, every, I was on the road every single day and everywhere I went, doctors are like, she's got it. She's got it, she's got it. And not just with MECFS, with mm -hmm. cancer, with leukemia, with lymphoma, with prostate cancer. And when you start looking at the inflammatory events in the acquired immune deficiencies, with autoimmune disease, with Lou Gehrig's disease, um, the, the problem became, and, and you said it at the top of the show, with this virus. Well, 
there's no single virus. There's no HIV. There's a whole family of HIVs. There's an HIV-1. There's an HIV-2. There's a strain A, B, C, strain D. Why do we do influenza vaccines for this strain du jour or every year? Um, there are strains of viruses. There's family of viruses. And, and so what the... Um, what the government did to make our paper go away. Remember I told you that Joe DeRisi and, and Bob Silverman didn't isolate the virus. They're not virologists. They're not what Frank and I are. We, um, Frank Rossetti remains to this day the only person to have isolated and discovered all three families of human retroviruses because, um, you know, that's, that, that's who he is. He's really the father of human disease causing retroviruses. And, um, and, and so they only identified like 10% of the genome, 10% of 8,000 bases. They had maybe 400 bases of the gag, and we actually sequenced almost 1,000 of the envelope. That's the outer layer of the virus that interacts with the cell. So we had, we had gotten out of Andrea Whittemore and several of the ME patients a big chunk of the sequence. Um, but what was starting to become apparent because what Bob Silverman did in his lab, a, a man named, a PhD named um, Dasgupta, J. Dasgupta, um, J. Dasgupta sequenced um, and created a clone. Because Bob, Bob and, and Joe identified the sequences in prostate cancer. I believe the paper was published in 2005 or six. Um, pro probably late five, because I was still working in cancer at the time um, and with that company. And so they only had sequences. So they, because the technologies are such that we can take enzymes in the laboratory and clone it. And these are very good enzymes that we call it genome walking. You just start and you literally build a virus. And so what we didn't learn until 2011, probably around May or June of 2011, when we went to a leukemia virus meeting in Belgium, you know, um, Bob Silverman apologized to Frank and said, Jay's Joy, Joy, he used to call him Joy, Joy's really sorry about all this. And Frank's like, what is he sorry about? Well, they didn't sequence the virus from a single patient. They cloned it. They didn't do the sequencing from a single patient. Because think about a prostate biopsy. How many cells do you get? You don't get enough DNA to do that. So they actually took a number of patients and sequenced the patient. So their infectious molecular clone was actually like a Frankenstein virus. But then when he, when we sent him samples, to sequence the virus and, and, and note that Bob Silverman, the company Abbott, and, 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 and had, had the patent on XMRV. So I always put an S on it because it's an entire family of viruses. And so when they sequenced the virus, it wasn't, the ones we isolated wasn't XMRV that they had pieced together. In fact, it was, it was probably 50% different sequence. So he actually tried three times and kept asking for more and more samples. So we'd send back more and more samples. So, so his clone never came to our lab. We sent him the real nature isolate of the virus. And he was the one who told us 
it's XMRV. It's this sequence. It's 90% similar, but that we did something called a phylogenetic tree to show there was enough differences to show that it wasn't a contaminant, that it actually came from the people. It, the, the viruses were just different enough in the prostate cancer patients, in the CFS cancer patient, and, and we could understand how they could cause both diseases, which were inflammatory in nature. So we'd only learned in, in July what they had done. They, they had actually said the virus we isolated was their sequence, was XMRV, we call it VP62, because it's a clone from a patient number 62, and it wasn't 62, it was 62, 63, 64, God only knows. So they did this and said our virus was their virus, and our virus never was. So in fact, Harvey Alter and Shai-Shing Lo, um, Shai-Shing Lo was at the FDA, and I believe Harvey Alter was at the time, Alaska Award winner, so a very distinguished, beautiful scientist, lovely man, doctor. Um, he, um, when, when Shai-Shing Lo saw our paper, unbeknownst to, I never met Shai-Shing Lo until this happened, so when he had been working in HIV, and he had a whole bunch of samples that he had frozen and never thawed from the early 80s because these were women. These were women that were almost as sick as the men. And remember at that time, HIV only infected gay men. You didn't have to worry about women and children until Ryan White, right? And, 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 and Arthur Ashe with the, with the blood supply contaminated. So, you know, the, the second that we, we published this paper, we started working to get a diagnostic test for the blood supply to show it wasn't contaminated, which in fact it was. So the, later that year, the last talk I ever gave was on a science paper that came out in October 22nd of 2011. Well, the last talk I ever gave to scientists, <laughs> but uh, as a professional, um, I don't know what to say. Um, at any rate, um, that talk was basically a debate for the evidence that um, there was actually human retroviruses of the XMRV family that weren't VP62. And we could show in the original paper that there, um, that there was evidence of murine leukemia viruses, gamma retroviruses that were infectious and transmissible, just as we had said, and there was evidence in that paper. So um, John Coffin was on the other end of that debate, and he said it was all a recombination event, and he published a paper in 2013 saying, oh yeah, there are lots of, you know, when, when we work with mouse cells, they express a lot of pieces and parts of retro viruses and this just happened to happen in the in the laboratory and that's what we had isolated and we're looking at was just contaminants in a laboratory it's all a lab contaminant you can all go home in oh, your in your safe let's stop here because that's a response to what i i, I believe was a, a massive concern mm -hmm. you create in the professional community because here are this newly identified retrovirus that no one was screening for Right. Yet it was potentially contaminating 10% of the human blood supply. Correct. And it could be transferred. So why don't you elaborate on that? Because I think you skipped over it and that was huge because that, yeah, that, that was like in all the media, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in all the media, in fact. 
<laughs> my mom was watching Good Morning America one morning and uh, across the bottom of the ticker tape said, XMRV all a hoax, you know, as if they took care of Dr. Mikevich, she called me. Uh, I said, sorry, Ma. Um, so, <laughs> uh, and it, I mean, it was horrible. And, and we start to realize our fake news and our fake science. Because what, what we had actually done in the blood supply, that study was a three-year study. And, and the, um, the, what we were charged to do in that study was develop a test for the blood supply that was simple and efficient. And we usually do that based on polymerase chain reaction or PCR. But this virus, because of its DNA methylation sites in the promoter in the start site, it was so tightly latent, if methylated, that in a short PCR reaction, you couldn't see it. So you had to use a reagent called 5-Azacytidine, which is that reagent that we use in cancer therapy um, that we developed in my company back in um, <laughs> 2005, uh, um, uh, And so before the company bank went bankrupt, it's still a drug that we use to treat patients. And, and of course, we're using it in the patient communities today successfully. So um, but it, the blood supply was contaminated. But and we didn't have a diagnostic test. And is it still today contaminated? Is that Absolutely. Well, no, probably not. Because at the same time, well, because at the same time that we were doing all of this, a company called Cirrus um, in Northern California called me up and said, we believe we have a way to decontaminate that virus. And so I worked with Cirrus and the lovely people there from 2009. When the paper came out, there were a lot of things. So my, my team of maybe three people did a tremendous amount of work. Um, you know, unfortunately, all of us lost our um, professional lives over it. Um, and, and so it, at any rate, Cirrus had a test and I gave a talk. Um, at a, a blood supply meeting at the New York Academy of Sciences in March of 2011, I believe it was March 29, 2011, I gave a talk that said, okay, here's the bad news, but here's the good news, we can decontaminate it. But yeah, and so yes, I believe from that date, they have decontaminated it, and they gave huge grants and huge financial awards to Mike Bush and, and others. Mike Bush is the PhD who heads the national, uh, um, the um, blood, Systems Research Institute in San Francisco, which is um, really the head of the blood supply. Um, Simone Glenn, who um, headed the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, also knew the blood supply was contaminated. Both of those two have, have um, financially gained a great deal from Cirrus, the company which, whose stock exploded. So I don't believe it's contaminated anymore. And they're still and, doing and, that today, that, that decontamination procedure. Yes, correct. And the good news about it, and as I showed in that talk, I can pull up those slides and make sure everybody sees them. But as I said in that talk, which by the way, um, Ian Lipkin, Dr. Lipkin, who's, you know, you know him well, um, he's the great debunker. He never did anything scientifically himself, but he, um, he, he covered up a lot of, of real science of mine and Andy Wakefield's uh, and others um, down the line. And he also made a fortune doing so. 
Um, they were paid quite handsomely by Tony Fauci at the national, head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease to make this go away. A lot like they did with taking out the proper patients uh, in Andy Wakefield's study. But at so, any rate, the blood supply was contaminated. Cirrus no, cleaned it up. But, but why aren't they using this decontamination procedure? Oh, they are. For the vaccines and other biologicals. Um, because uh, if they decontaminate, number one, they don't have to. Okay, <laughs> that's true. There, there is no liability. There is no law. Um, and if they inactivate, for instance, MMR is three RNA viruses. So you can't get the XMRV out of MMR. Oh, one of the, one of the most important, yeah, because you'll decontaminate the whole vaccine. It won't work. So it won't work. Exactly. And so it won't work. It will no longer be a vaccine. One of the studies that I gave a talk on on June 6, June 2nd, 2011, um, one of the reasons I never got to testify is I have a photographic memory <laughs> and I know dates and names. So when the government shut me down and I never had a single hearing and I lost all my constitutional rights, it was because my lawyers just laughed. They're like, you got it, Judy. You know, they're not every going to let you testify and that's in that's how I ended up in bankruptcy they said I said I'm going to the hearing and I'm taking my 101 witnesses which will say everything I did was right and true and including John Coffin and 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 others and so um uh, very, very interesting, um, the legal aspect of the story, but the scientific aspect of the story is uh, the Cirrus method cleans up Ebola, it cleans up um, Zika, it cleans up any, essentially any RNA viruses, including HIV and all three human retroviruses. So the, the Cirrus system is, is extremely um, valuable to cleaning up the blood supply, but they cannot clean up the vaccines for another reason. If they do, they prove Andy Wakefield right, they prove me right, um, they, they prove that they've got 25 million Americans who um, they have to support for the rest of their lives and pay damages um, probably not unlike the damages that that gentleman just got for glyphosate causing cancers. You know, $200 million for... Um, yeah, that's Dwayne, $289 million from right. or the Dwayne Johnson who had the lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, I believe. Correct. And, uh, as a result of that, uh, you know, he only got like less than 10% because Trump changed the... the the law so that attorney's fees are not deductible. So we had to pay taxes on what the attorneys got, which makes no sense. Yeah, it's crazy. But at any rate, um, <laughs> I know that as far as attorney's fees, because I'm, I'm in tax court right now, because they said, I, they, they, they told my husband who makes a grand total of $45,000 a year, we had to pay tens of thousands of dollars of taxes, um, back taxes going to 2015. Um, I'm not sure on what, um, but uh, because, and I, I had been deducting my legal fees to try to get my constitutional rights back and my right to work and my right to tell this story um, uh, back to, and um, uh, they said, your legal problems are not tax deductible. So we'll stay in court, I guarantee you, because I'm not paying a penny. <laughs>
Yeah, they, so why don't you elaborate a bit on the attempt to destroy you personally by throwing you in jail and right. essentially uh, bankrupting you and decredentializing you. I mean, they've, you've really taken an enormous personal hit right. for your efforts in this area. Well, I was, I was um, fired on September 29th, um, 2011 for insolence and insubordination. Um, and why I was fired by Annette Whittemore was because um, they had been selling what, what was an unvalidated blood test. So remember, we were all trying to develop tests um, for the blood supply. And I just told you that serous test is worth a whole lot of money or that serous procedure for decontaminating. Well, the Whittemores had been selling a test based on our work. Um, and the director of their for-profit commercial laboratory was using federal grant funds to do that work, which is misappropriation of federal funds. And I found that out in basically August of 2011 um, and, and wrote him off the grant, said he's no longer on the grants. And I told the bosses, well, the bosses happen to be really good friends of um, Harry Reid, um, and so when the science paper came out, when I gave that talk, October 22nd, 2011, um, uh, basically the Whittemores came after me because it said they had committed Medicare fraud and every other kind of fraud with this unvalidated test and they were and misappropriation of federal funds. So the Whittemores, um, basically they fired me immediately in an attempt because they were going to September 29th is important because the end of the fiscal year is September 30th for the government. So they were trying to get, um, this scientist, um, Vince Lombardi, they were trying to get him to recreate the work while I was out of town and say I was a lunatic. He'd been doing the work all along and he hadn't misappropriated any of the funds. So they fired me on September 29th and for the net and immediately locked down the entire university to me or my staff. So one of my staff, um, I just went home because I was on my way to Ireland to give a talk. I said, oh, she'll get over it. The insolence and insubordination was I had refused a direct order to um, misappropriate federal funds, basically. Um, and, and I wasn't ever going to do that. And, I, and so <laughs> um, uh, it, uh, the, the insolence I'm trying to learn not to do because it was probably have gone a lot better for me if I didn't say fuck yeah. you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was surprising because it seems like you had a commitment to high integrity when all those around you didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and then later on, it is at the, towards the end of the book, you mentioned that you're a Christian, and I suspect that that, that, that uh, moral value foundation you had was partly, partly responsible, because so many scientists would not have done what you've done. They oh, would, I, I mean, well, they would I know. Just go with the flow and, and not endure any personal hardships. Right. And it's interesting in that regard, it's, it was only Dr. Rossetti and, and me who stood up. He, lost, he didn't lose his economic life, and that's a little bit of a story. So what, what 
the head of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute did was put a gun to my head on Labor Day weekend of 2011 when they were trying to get this paper published by the, in time, it was actually not October 22nd, it was September 22nd, 2011, when I gave that last talk. They had three weeks to get a science paper out there that would destroy the, um, my reputation and the MECFS community because that was an every other year meeting. So eventually, what, what my Michael Bush did was have Simone Glenn on the phone and Harold Varmus on the phone and said, Frank Rossetti signs that paper and Sandy Rossetti, or Frank Rossetti signs that paper, or he and Sandy Rossetti will be fired immediately for fraud and they will lose their entire retirement, which is 75 years. So that was one of the few times I sobbed. I was sitting in my bed screaming in Oxnard and my husband's like, what's going on? It was six o'clock in the morning. They were on the East Coast and they needed to get this paper published fast by science. And so I called him up and I said, Frank, they agreed to change the language. They agreed to change the title. They agreed it wasn't an association study. All it was was we didn't have a diagnostic test. So either way I die because the Whittemores are going to kill me because they're selling the diagnostic test. But Frank signed the paper. They didn't change the wording. It, it came out as scientific fraud. It is pure fraud. Um, and, um, you know, and here the head of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute published pure fraud in the journal Science, just as two years later, Ian Lipkin published pure fraud. So what, what has your, going through all these hardships, what, how has it changed your personal impression of the field of science. Wow. I mean, I, it's, I mean, I, I can't tell you it's destroyed. It's destroyed. My, it is fake news. It is so corrupt. And, and it, I just, is everything it, is about it. Are, aren't there some people who have ulterior like you are committed? And I'm thinking of a lot of the Asians who really don't have an, an ulterior motive in many cases mm -hmm. or just pure, hard, mm -hmm. diligent researchers. Oh, and, and yeah, and it's not them. It's the top of the line. It's okay. Tony Fauci. So we're only allowed to make incremental advances. When we make a discovery of this nature, which is, you know, akin to Galileo, you know, when you make a discovery of this nature, it changes all of everything. And so there are a bunch of little boys. This is misogyny, so much worse than anything of Weinstein or any of that crap. This is a bunch of little boys like Gallo fighting over who gets credit. While the yeah. world dies, while you kill an entire continent. So no, it's not the little guy. In fact, that's why we do marking. That's why I do shows like this, because sure. we're going to teach doctors. When doctors understand the science, and they're coming around a lot, because the science is there, nothing about our paper except the sequence of the virus has ever been wrong. And we knew that in the beginning. So what's the fundamental principles that you'd like to share with physicians or patients who are infected with this virus uh, and families, with families virus. Uh, and uh, many of them are have autistic children which you believe is a contributing factor in, in many of these cases also so what what are the pearls of wisdom that you're sharing with them that they can really make a dramatic change in the course of their illness right well well certainly the the pearls of wisdom is stop the vaccinations mm -hmm. we, until 2011 not inconsequentially we didn't vaccinate aids patients the same way and it's in the book you don't vaccinate the immune compromised. 
Why do I walk in a cancer ward and see get your flu shot for the patients? <laughs> Why, you, know, you don't vaccinate. By definition, you have an immune system that doesn't work. Why would you vaccinate them? Why would you vaccinate somebody under three years old who has immune and detox systems that don't work? This was the key of the RNA-L story, of Andy Wakefield's, of the Thompson fraudulent paper. All they had to do was wait for black boys to be three years old, and they would have been able to degrade the RNA virus. That's criminal. That's beyond comprehension, Shari. Sorry I'm shouting, because it's like, are you kidding me? Someone needs... (laughs) Uh, <laughs> and and when I saw yeah, and when I saw that paper, I mean, when I saw Ho- Brian Hooker's paper, I didn't see it until within months of when our book came out. That was August of 2014, the first time I knew there was any connection. And then it wasn't until I met Mike Hugo, a law, an attorney who you'd love to talk to, who knows all, who helped write the laws for vaccine court. It wasn't until he came to me in my book, saw the book and said, you have no idea what you stepped into. We didn't work on vaccines. So you, you just, you know, so the pearls of wisdom is DNA methylation. Keep the violent virus silent. You know, we don't care what they call it, human endogenous retrovirus. We don't care. Keep them silent. So let, let's. So how do you silence them? So you mentioned DNA methylation, and <clears throat> the implication is that many people, uh, through either their diet or genetic uh, genetics, have an inability to optimally methylate. Well, the the more vi- retroviruses you see, mm-hmm. um, DNA methylation has to silence them. So you can't inject them in a vaccine. So we're injecting millions of pieces and parts of, of retroviruses in every vaccine by definition. And I have an ongoing cancer um, lawsuit. Um, we're opining in a lawsuit that says um, vaccines caused a childhood cancer, um, a lymphoma. And so, and, and, and by these same mechanisms, you've destroyed the, the DNA methylation machinery's ability. You've simply overwhelmed it. You've overwhelmed the substrate. You've overwhelmed the ability to methylate. And every time those viruses integrate, you have a better chance at insertional mutagenesis. So don't expose anybody to human retroviruses um, and, and use antiretroviral therapy, which are natural products, which you know from your friend, Dr. Klinghart, um, mm-hmm. Dietrich. Um, you know, there are lots of, of natural products and we've published on them and those are actually therapy for these kids. Yeah, he's actually the person who enlightened me as to your work. Mm-hmm. And he also mentioned, and he treats a lot of autism patients also, and he mentioned the use of the, a drug that's uh, called suramin, which is Correct. actually an uh, ancient drug. It's been used to treat uh, river blindness, I believe. Mm-hmm. Interesting, and in sleeping sickness. So that drug, the reason I knew it, um, it was when, when AIDS patients were dying, j- dropping like flies, my colleagues pulled it off the shelf, and it's, it, it was one of the first antiretroviral therapies for HIV. But you know what? They developed newer ones. We developed newer ones because it worked best against the murine leukemia virus-related viruses, against the mouse retroviruses, the gamma retroviruses, was what it works best on. So Bob Navio did a small clinical trial. These kids got their life back. They started talking again. So what did Bayer Monsanto do? They stopped the trial. And, and they, they, they took the drug away from everyone. Now you can't get it. 
So here's a drug that in the 30 years, we used to use it in too much of a dose, the chemistry of it. Now, 30 years later, we know how to use it. We could help millions of people get over this. But when you show cure, you know cause. That's it. So I would be right. We would be right. Millions of people would get their lives back. And it's all about money. Yeah. But is it, isn't it... Uh because of the, the age of the drug, doesn't its patent expire and can't other companies create it as a generic? Well, um, nobody will if, if, if you're gonna be destroyed. I mean, Bob Navio won't, won't do the work because as he said, I don't wanna see my mug shot on the cover of, of science. So you see the, the jailing, the arrest, basically I refuse to throw everything away. I refused to cover it up. I refused to retract it. So did Max in my lab and Katie and others and Dr. Rossetti. We refused. Frank Rossetti was forced into retirement. They said we did something wrong. The journal said they lost confidence. The editor retracted it, um, forced the retraction of it. And, and again, nothing was wrong with it but the sequence. So if I hadn't been jailed and see what the Whittemores, why, why I was jailed in addition to misappropriating federal funds, what were they going to do to the the Whittemores. Oh, they were going to take the drugs away from their child, which had saved her life. Yeah. And she's got her drugs at $25 a month. We don't realize this, but the AIDS patients in ACT UP, um, mm -hmm. if you have a human retrovirus, the pharmacist, nobody can ask. So all you have to use is an ICD-9 code or 10 code, which we were using with other professionals that said other human retrovirus. And, and you could get your therapy at $25 a month. If you it's have insurance. If you have insurance. And Medicare has to pay for it. Oh, Medicare has to pay for it. That's right. Wow. Medicare has to pay well, for it. So, but not Suramin. These would be other antiretrovirals. No, not Suramin. Other antiretrovirals. But the other, ones, other ones are fabulously helpful in these cases. As but Suramin is better? Um, Suramin is better for the gamma retroviruses, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how many other retroviruses are there aside from the HIV and XMRV? Um, there's the HTLV-1 family, so human T-cell leukemia lymphoma virus family. There are five or six of them, but only one is known to cause severe disease. That's HTLV-1 that Frank and Bernie isolated. There's one called human beta retrovirus that's associated with primary biliary cirrhosis, and that's the work of Andy Mason in Canada. And, um, and a lot of our patients with MECFS also have family members with primary biliary cirrhosis. So there are least four families of human retroviruses that we know the delta the lenti the beta the gamma and our, what do you perceive as being the most significant threat is it the as which one of those it's the xmrv beyond XMRV. a shadow of a doubt but, and it, how how much more of an impact do you think xmrv is having than hiv um well um right now hiv is contained but because XMRV integrates more specifically into hotspots. So it integrates into very key immune response genes. One that's called TET2, which we could talk about later, is very, very, very important in, um, um, in, in uh, methylation machinery and diseases um, of methylation and TET2. So one of the problems is they use murine leukemia viruses as vectors for gene therapy and the new cancer therapy called CAR T-cell therapy. 
So the louder I scream, you're kidding me, you're causing cancer. And, they, and, that's, how we, and that's how we're learning Tet too. And so you can look at the cover of Time Magazine where there's a young woman with a cancer um, and, and she got so sick. What did she get? ME-CFS. So the same thing with, with Gardasil, you know, with all of these things. We're causing these diseases and we know it because we're using these as vectors. We don't need infectious virus. That's one thing that's really important to know. You don't need infectious virus if you're injecting the provirus or the pieces and parts. You injected them past your immunity, past your gut, past RNA cell, past everything. You, you bypass the immune system. They don't need to be infectious. All you need is an envelope to cause that prostate cancer. And that's a, that's a paper that was published. And so in most of our studies, all we detected was the envelope. So the envelope alone causes vasculitis. Think of the strokes, think of the heart diseases. And another gamma retrovirus was isolated by Gary Owens, not isolated, but identified by Gary Owens, another family member from mice um, and associated with cardiovascular disease. So this is just a nightmare that we've unleashed on our in our environment. So let, let's talk about the prevalence. So I, I believe in the chronic fatigue population, it was very high. It was 30, 40% or even more. And then what is the incidence or your best guess at this point is the, the prevalence in the general population? Um, uh, six to 7%, seven, mm -hmm. eight, yeah. Because the studies in the general population, of course, family members have more of it. Mm -hmm. and, and in true MECFS, not what you call tired people from the phone book, which is what the, you know, everybody asked me, why did you say you didn't, you know, find it in the Lipkin study? Well, what I learned only last year was that in the, um, that the only real cohort in the Lipkin study, the Montoya cohort, was never, was taken out of the study. The study was stopped by Tony Fauci, who said, stop wasting the money. And it was stopped because we found the only true cohort. And I knew it was the Montoya cohort because we had been treating several of them and they were getting well. And I, by that, I mean in the Institute by Dr. Peterson, I'm a PhD and I don't treat. Sure. Now, what and the treatment consists of primarily antiretroviral therapies. Or are there any other supportive interventions? Oh, lots, lots of supportive therapies, as we've learned with HIV. If we look at the HIV literature, so, so naltrexone, some of the other um, things that help, you have to silence the other pathogens. So, so taking care of mycoplasma, taking care of mold, um, you know, using absolutely supporting the gut microbiome. We've learned with AIDS patients and cancer patients, if they don't have the diversity in the microbiome, just like in autism, just like in MECFS, um, it's because the retroviruses is causing the leaky gut, if you will, which is what, of course, the inflammation Andy Wakefield saw, the nonspecific inflammation was the retroviruses. So if you, if you keep the gut healthy, you can heal. So primary, primary is, is the diversity in the microbiome where you can't respond to the drugs. So really, uh, we could go on for hours, but uh, you have to uh, have a transportation issue coming up. So uh, we'll let you go now. And I want to thank you for sharing with us all this exciting information and, uh, and you know, the bravery you've exhibited over these years and the penalties you've been, uh, encountered as a result of your perseverance. So thanks for everything you've done. You're welcome. There's a lot of hope. And that's what the, we end the show with. There are therapies. We could fix this tomorrow.
And that's why I do it. I've, I've, I've had so many blessings from this the last eight years. Um, I can't even tell you. That's great. All right. Well, it was great talking to you. Thanks, Joe.